relax. <laughs> Grab your ankle, stretch your leg around the back of your neck, and breathe. <sighs> oh, this isn't yoga, is it? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Come on, Judy, smile. Humor. Well, we got a treat this morning. Mike Torrigiano is with us, and some of you will remember Mike from last year. And uh, the really neat thing was that he was accompanied last year by the Holy Spirit. This year, he's accompanied by his wife. So that means we get a double portion of the Holy Spirit, right? So... So without any further ado or introduction, Mike, when you come up, introduce your wife to us. Yeah, it's good to be back. My wife hates this, by the way, but I'm going to have a stand-up. This is Char, my better half. I get to travel with her more now. Uh, we had a rough year last year, but she recovered with the great, by the grace of God. My wife is all recovered and really an asset to have by my side uh, as we come. Um, you know, some of you know or don't know, uh, <clears throat> after pastoring 38 years in uh, New York City, in Manhattan, and in Brooklyn, uh, at least 35 of those years, I think, with the vineyard, uh, so uh, about a year and a half ago, the Lord uh, gave us um, a, um, a new assignment, so to speak, and we set aside our church. We handed off our local church there in Brooklyn in order to um, become a pastor of pastors, just helping pastors, uh, their leaders, their churches, uh, uh, by you know, just passing on the main and the plain uh, uh, treasure trove of uh, experience and know-how that was deposited in my life by other leaders over the years. See, somebody did this to me and to Shaw. So now it's time for us to pass it on. And so um, that's what we've been doing. We, have, uh, we started a ministry called The Main and the Plain. And if you are interested, if, you, if any of this that I say in the next few minutes seems like something that to, to hear more about or the type of teaching or horse sense that I pass on to you, uh, <clears throat> then just go to face. If you're a Facebook person, you know, all you have to do is go to um, uh, visit our page on Facebook, uh, The Main and Plain, okay? And you'll, you'll get updates on your emails from our website, we blog, we show videos of, uh, with very s simple teaching that will help you, you know, be able to, uh, to be involved in the kingdom work right where you are in life, as well as last through all that life brings to you over the journey with Jesus, okay? So that's my little advertisement here. So that's main and plain Facebook, okay? <coughs> I want to talk about something main and plain. Okay, you don't have to be a rocket science scientist this morning. Um, I want to talk about encountering Jesus 
in the ordinary and every day of our lives. Okay? <coughs> I think the most important thing that can happen to a human being is to encounter Jesus. I can't think of anything more important to our existence. See? However, you know, in this digital age in which we live in, you know, that affects us all, um, it can be easy to forget that the risen Lord is a living presence, a person, see, a real life here and now person uh, that exists and operates in the ordinary, unspectacular, you know, non-digital, you know, uh, daily lives that most of us have. See? And so, where and how, you know, do we encounter Jesus uh, each day in this, uh, in a way that will continue to transform and energize our daily, ordinary lives? There are three ways. Now, there are many ways, but I want to I focus on just three simple ways that this can happen for all of us. Okay. First, Jesus is alive in his word. Okay. We can encounter Jesus in his written word and his spoken word when the Holy Spirit whispers to us. Second, we meet Jesus in forgiveness and healing. Third, we meet Jesus in our loving service to those in need. Okay? I'm going to talk about those three things. All right? So first, through the word. How we come to know and... and uh, how we meet him and know uh, um, and, and are impacted, okay, by Jesus uh, through the, the meditative uh, appropriation of his word. And how do we meet Jesus through those whispers of the Holy Spirit when he speaks to us in our heart, okay? Um, well, the story of Simon, Peter, the fisherman, you know, uh, gives us some understanding. It sheds some light on how this can happen to you and I. Okay? And you find that story in Luke 5. If you have your Bibles and you want to check me out, I'm going to just pass through it and make some comments, but I'm not going to read the whole passage. But you can have it right on your lap if you want, or in your phone or whatever, however you, you read the word now. Okay, but you can find that story in Luke 5, uh, the first 11 verses, 1 through 11. Okay? And in this story, Peter encounters Jesus 
in his teaching and also by his spoken word. Okay. And in the process of this encounter, he becomes, it, it changes him. He becomes an evangelist, a, a carrier of the message of the gospel, the good news. See? Which, by the way, each one of us is called to be in our own unique way. Okay. Now, as a sidelight, it's interesting to me as I read this that um, this encounter doesn't you know, occur in some majestic religious setting. I, I find it very interesting that this encounter with Jesus happens not in the temple in Jerusalem where you would expect this kind of thing to happen, but it happens in the ordinary, unspectacular place of our lives, the workplace. It happens at Peter's place of work where, like for most of us, we don't, we don't think much about God most of the time. So in this story, if you take a look at it, you've, you know, Luke tells us that the crowd had gathered around Jesus as he's teaching, and they were pressing in on Jesus, listening, listening to the word of God. Okay? The written word of Jesus is, is, is expounding, I think probably talking about the kingdom from Old Testament scripture. Okay? That's my guess. And so the crowd is so large, and, you know, so he commandeers Peter's boat, right? And he asks him to pull away from the shore, just a short way. And after he finished teaching, Jesus said to Peter, put out into deep water and lower your nets for the catch. And Peter responds in, in such a, uh, a surprising way. In my, again, I'm trying to put myself into Peter's shoes. You know, uh, you know just an ordinary working guy. You know? And so he, I think, responds in an unusually, in an unusual way. Okay? Master, we've worked hard all night. And we've caught nothing. But Watch those butts in scripture. Ah, you thought I was going someplace there. No, but at your command, at your word, okay, I will lower the nets. You know, think about it. Peter must have been exhausted from a full night of catching nothing. Okay. And he could have given in to his exhaustion, telling Jesus, you know, I've already tried my best, my professional best at this. You know, it's no use. See? It's, it would be better if we just go home, call it a day. Now, I think most, a lot of us in this room know what that's like. 
when Jesus asks us to make certain decisions in life, you know? And, you know, we can, we can reject his word and just follow our impulses and our own, you know, sense, sensibilities and our instincts. But not Peter. He decided to obey God's word. He decides to, to listen to Jesus. To take a chance and put out into the deep and lower the nets. See? He decides to run the small risk to ignore his overwhelming fatigue and the embarrassment of looking like an idiot, a fool, in front of his other co-workers and friends. See? But you see, what's going on here? Jesus is subverting Peter without him even knowing it. You see? He's subverting him. He's helping Peter see that obeying God's word is the smartest thing you could do with your life. I don't care how it feels. I don't care if it doesn't compute. Obedience to what Jesus tells us to do is smart. And he's going to teach him that right now and there in a way that he will never forget for the rest of his life. See? He's teaching Peter to see that obeying God's word can lead to surprising, unexpected success in your life. And sure enough, they caught such a great number of fish that they filled their nets to the breaking point. Now, more important than that, this dramatic experience changed Peter. It began a transformation in his life. He, right there in the boat, he repents of his sins. He makes the decision, as crazy as this sounds, got a business, got a family, got a community, you know, He's got his five-year plan all figured out, you know, but he makes the decision to follow Jesus. And eventually, that leads to him making history. Never would have imagined that in that boat at that moment. Now, I just want to suggest that the same goes for us. Every person sitting in this room right now. Because we must take risks for Jesus, even and especially, especially when following him becomes difficult and exhausting. And it will. Even in the easy yoke. 
have to nonetheless continue at times to live in such a way that it doesn't make sense if God doesn't exist. The only way this makes sense is there's a God in heaven. Of course, this guy can't, this is not going to work out in the natural. This is nutty. Even if it goes against our better judgment and our instincts. You see, to be a follower of Jesus demands nothing less and no more than what Jesus demanded of Peter. It goes for all of us. You see, I think that in this passage we have this dramatic picture of the life-changing power of God's word. Jesus is routinely in the boats of our lives, commandeering my life, showing up, sometimes at the most inconvenient times, He's always commandeering me, right? And, and his word constantly encourages me to go out into deeper and deeper waters with him. The unfamiliar, the risky, the uncomfortable place. And to those that are open to this way of living, you know, the Bible calls it by faith, not by sight. Huh? Precisely because we've listened to Jesus, that we've acted upon his word. The catch awaits us. You know, in the form of surprising, deep, satisfying, fruitful, and often miraculous living. And in these situations, you see, we'll encounter Jesus joyfully in fresh new ways like Peter and become changed people and leave everything and follow him. My wife and I, our life has been a continuing journey of putting out to deeper, being asked by Jesus to put out to deeper and deeper waters where we, we face the unknown. What a, we've never been there, but you ask me to go. We, it's uncomfortable. It, it, it's unfamiliar. It's risky. You know, it's always... What I found is that following Jesus is always going to deeper waters, putting everything on the line, always. And even though I put my everything on the line yesterday, it doesn't count for today. I got to do it again, and I got to do it again, and I got to do it again. But each time, there's a miraculous catch on the other side of it in some wonderful, surprising way. That's been our life for 40 
well, our whole entire uh, married life, 45 years. Deeper. Put, go out. Here's deeper. Each time discovering more about who Jesus is. Each time stepping deeper into his life. Each time well worth it. The second way is we encounter Jesus in in forgiveness and in healing. Okay? See, the greatest healing, I think, is the healing uh, of forgiveness of sin. Catholics call it the sacrament of reconciliation, right? The, the, The experience of reconciliation goes deep and goes wide in our lives. Forgiving our sins. And also healing our spirits, our souls, and even our bodies. Right? And it's interesting to note that, again, you know, in the New Testament word, uh, the Greek word is sozo, S-O-Z-O, sozo. Right? Well, the same Greek word, sozo, is used for both healing and salvation. See? And so Peter would write in his epistle, he says, by his stripes, we are healed. We are saved from our sins. We are reconciled to God. We are made whole human beings in every way, emotionally, even physically. And there's no clearer picture <clears throat> of the deep and wide forgiving and healing that, can, you know, that, that an encounter with Jesus uh, generates than the story of the healing of the paralytic in Mark, the second chapter. And you could turn to that, too, because I'll just make references to that little story. Right? Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. Familiar story. And the, whole, the cool thing about it is I think each one of us here can put, us, put ourselves in this story and picture ourselves paralyzed in different ways you know, uh, from the, the, what I consider the mysterious, debilitating effects of sin that happens at different times in our lives, this paralyzing effect. Each of us needs healing like this, this man in the story. Okay? And again, this encounter doesn't happen while on some spiritual retreat someplace. It takes place in someone's ordinary living room. 
in everyday life like you and I live. And we have Mark describing a remarkable scene. There's a dramatic disruption of, again, Jesus' teaching. And um, some would suggest that this was, might have been Peter's house after his encounter with Jesus at the workplace. It's a speculation, maybe. I like to think of it as it did. Right? Imagine we're all packed into this living room, and suddenly, you know, you know Jesus is teaching. Everybody's, like, riveted. And suddenly, you know, debris starts showering down on us, right? A human-sized hole, you know, opens up in the ceiling, right? And lo and behold, a resourceful, persistent, and daring quartet slowly lower a stretcher with a person strapped to it, right, determined to bring their friend to Jesus for physical healing. And what happens initially is certainly not what they had in mind. Without asking the paralytic any questions, you know, doesn't ask anything about his condition or the, the, or the state of his soul, right? Jesus immediately says, son, your sins are forgiven. See, what these four men, you know, um, planned as a pilgrimage for physical healing turned suddenly into the healing of their friend's sins. And it was not until later in the story, after some religious officials questioned or challenge Jesus' authority to forgive sins, if you recall, that Jesus finally turns to the paralytic and says, stand up, take up your, bat, your mat, and walk. Go home. Jesus first forgives the paralytic's sins and only later heals the physical paralysis. And in a way, I think Mark is challenging us to see that you know, sin itself as a kind of spiritual paralysis. Okay. And so this uh, uh, same exact forgiveness and healing ministry of Jesus continues today among us. Every one of us, each of us, from time to time, lies paralyzed on a, a mat in need of forgiveness and healing. Don't we? Go like this, because if you're honest, you'll say, yeah, yeah. yeah. We need a change of heart from time to time, because the very fact that we're human we need a movement towards God in some way. Okay? We get stuck. 
We need a, re- a redeemer's touch to bring wholeness in some way to our lives. It might be an emotional thing. It might be a sin issue. It might be a physical issue. It might be a relational issue. But we're laying there in that mat paralyzed in need of healing, in need of forgiveness, reconciliation, in need of Jesus. And this is what happens you know, when we encountered Jesus, who spent, if you just read the gospel, he spent a great deal of his time forgiving and healing, right? So how does this happen? Sins cannot be faxed away. They can't be sent away by email. They can't be texted or delivered by Federal Express. This is personal business. They have to be confessed. They have to be repented of in a heart-to-heart meeting up with Jesus. And sometimes, through the help of another person who sits there and, in, you know, representing God, you know, Jesus within that person, listening and forgiving. Yeah. This is, in my estimation, the most personal encounter we can have with our crucified and risen Savior who freely gives forgiveness and gives us a new start in life. That's what he does best. And as the, just as the, the, the paralyzed man was healed, each of us can be made whole, touched spiritually, emotionally, physically, as Jesus continues his forgiving and his healing ministry today. And we've all, I would say most people in this room now say, yes, I, I know that. I continue to live in that. Don't forget it. Sin has a way of giving us amnesia. That's why I like the Holy Spirit. He's a reminder. He's a pest. When I say, leave me alone, leave me alone. Okay. Finally. We encounter Jesus in serving the needy. We encounter Jesus when we help those around us that are in need. As we imitate the love of Christ, we encounter him. Listen up. We encounter Jesus within us. And in the people we help. And this is illustrated in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And you can find that in Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. I'm just going to make reference to it. In this story, once more, we encounter, you know, this encounter doesn't occur in a nice, neat proper religious setting. It takes place among the mess 
and the wreckage of the world. And you're familiar with the story. Even people that don't go to church know this story. See? Man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, right, gets mugged and is left stripped and beaten on the road. A priest and a Levite pass him by. I think mostly out of fear than indifference because, you know, if they, because they were religious, um, if they touched a corpse according to the law, they would have to undergo this elaborate cleansing ceremonies before they could take part in their most cherished temple services. So they were afraid of that happening. There was something more important. Okay? The Samaritan, however, was moved with compassion and goes to great lengths to help this guy. And then Jesus asks, which one of these three, in your opinion, was neighbor to the robber's victim? The scholar of the law that started the conversation with him responded, the one who treated him with mercy. And Jesus said, right on. Go and do the same. Now, pay attention here. Slow down. There are two, two neighbors in this story. The person who acted with compassion, the Samaritan, and the person in need of compassion. In the deepest sense, but in a very subtle way, you could miss it. The neighbor in this story is the Lord Jesus present in both the Samaritan and the victim. In the <clears throat> in every act of charity, see, we encounter Jesus in ourselves. We're, we're aware of his presence moving us, right? and in another person. The Samaritan was the least likely to be defined as a neighbor in this story, but he was a, Jesus called him. He's the, that's a good neighbor. Like the Samaritan, each one of us, as a, as a follower of Jesus, is called to be a neighbor to others. Cultivating a spirit-given awareness and sensitivity of the heart that reaches out and reflects Jesus in countless practical little acts of kindness during the day. Some mostly very small, mostly not noticed by a lot of people around us, but sometimes in big and very costly ways. Now, Jesus is also, you know, the image of the invisible God, the New Testament tells us, crying out from the man who lies stripped and half dead on the roadside. Jesus is there. You know, Mother Teresa, 
she once said that she saw, as she worked among the poor, the wrecked lives in Calcutta, India, she said that she saw the face of Jesus in every person that she helped. Especially, she said, the distressing disguised in the disguise of the poor. Jesus disguised as the poor, the helpless, the nobodies. Now, this is a mystery. This is the mystery of his presence. Jesus is the member of our family that's in trouble. Jesus is the person next door who has no one to turn to. Jesus is the stranger in need. In that person, we, we, we see the face of Christ, and then we, and we encounter him in that, that connection. Remember the parable of the last judgment in Matthew? Jesus said this, I assure you, whenever, whatever, whatever, little, big, you did for one of the least of mine. Remember the prisoner, the captive, the sick, the naked, the people in need. You did for me. Jesus, who died for the sins of the world, identifies himself with the hungry, the thirsty, the strangers, the immigrant, the prisoner, the sick, the criminal, the homeless, all the invisible, marginalized, all those that live on the periphery of life. See, this story of, of Jericho, you know, the, that, that road to, to, from Jerusalem to Jericho is the story <coughs> in, uh, re- that, excuse me, represents a world of neighbors, a world of people in need whose true face once we notice them, once uncovered, is the face of Christ himself. It's humanity inviting us to encounter Jesus and be changed by him through, through simple acts of kindness. That's within the reach of every one of us. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be a scholar. And as we actively obey, as we concretely go and do the same, we'll also unexpectedly encounter a neighbor, a good friend, whose name is Jesus, both within us and within the person who receives your act of kindness. And these 
these encounters change us as well as the people who we show kindness to. My wife told me a, a, a story that just the other day she was in a nail salon. She was going to get her nails done. And, you know, a lady came, you know, which, you know, I, I imagine I've never gone to a nail salon and had my nails done, but I imagine it takes a little time. Right? And there was a lady that, was, that came up behind her and was seemingly in a, needed, was in a rush. She had a little something that she needed done. And she said, no, you go right ahead. Go in front of me. You go. And so she just, um, you know, that was good. In New York, that doesn't happen in New York very often. Everybody's pushing and shoving. They're in a rush. They're, my wife said, no, no, just go ahead. And the lady was, was surprised, you know. But anyway, so cool. Later on, Charles finished her salon business, whatever you call it, you know, and she's all, you know, she's all, and she's going up to pay for her, her, her treatment there. I said, oh, no, you, the lady paid for you. The lady, she had help. My wife came home on, she was like, it was like she met Jesus herself. You want to know something? She did. She was on cloud nine for a couple of days. She comes out, I can't believe that happened. I can't believe that. Something, what, what happened? She met Jesus. Jesus in her by stepping aside. Jesus in her receiving an act of kindness herself. Imagine that. A little something if we just pay attention. So here we have three ways we encountered Jesus in the midst of the ordinary, the mostly unspectacular things in our everyday lives that if we don't pay attention, we might miss. Maybe this morning, this afternoon, as I look at the clock, maybe you're in need of a fresh encounter with Jesus right now. Yeah. Has he been speaking to you about something difficult or daring or seemingly risky that he wants you to do for him? How have you responded? Are you in need of forgiveness of sins or some type of healing? Jesus is offering it to you. Will you humble yourself, confess your need, and receive it? Is Jesus somehow confronting your self-centeredness? That's causing you to miss out on the, the chance to experience Jesus in a very dynamic way by noticing those in need around you. Seeing Christ in them and engaging in, a, in simple neighborly acts of kindness. What are you going to do about it? So as we close, now, let's quiet ourselves. Let's invite. Let's make room. Because the Holy Spirit is here. He's been here right from the very first chord, the very first prayer that was spoken. But let's give him some room right now. 